That uh, it did my heart good to hear people praying. Uh, it, it does my heart so good when I hear young people, it's older people, crying out to God, crying out to God. Uh, and we so need that today. I want to talk today. I've, I've, been, I've been, I don't know if you reflect on messages, but I couldn't get Romans 9 out of my head. I couldn't get the fact that Israel had so much of the, of the Lord's presence within them and how he had created such an atmosphere of his covenants and of patriarchs and of, of the word and uh, of the law and of the temple worship and all that within the people, and yet they missed them. And they tried to create a righteousness on their own instead of their own Messiah that was in front of their face. And it just, I think that's happening today. I think that in America, we're missing the Messiah again. Even though God has created so much within this nation, we have a constitution that is built around the Word of God. We have, we have a government that has led in many instances in the past for a nation to come on their knees, a national day of prayer. We have so much structure that God has put into this country. Unlike the Soviet Union, when they were under communism and they, they, were, they didn't let any structure in, although there was still God never lets people go, right? I, I still remember stories about Brother Andrew who snuck in to the Soviet Union, bringing Bibles in. And he had a false bottom in his, in his uh, luggage. And it was searched many times and Bibles weren't found because God wanted to bring the Word of God into that nation. And he did. But are you missing? Are we missing? And how do I know that? This is the question. It's the title of my message. Is your life building the church of Jesus Christ? Is it your life purpose to build the church of Jesus Christ in whatever venue that God has put you? You could be in a mobile home park. You can be in, in the housing of this area. You can be in condos. You can, it doesn't matter. Is your life about building the life of, 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 of church of Jesus Christ? You understand that he has stooped down from heaven, as I read that first verse, he has stooped down to look into your heart, to look into my heart. That's the God we serve. It's not as though somehow we have lifted up to see him. He has stooped down and brought into our lives an intense love and his presence into our life. And yet, we live in a time where there's massive deconstruction going on in the church. Massive deconstruction. It is defined by Alyssa Childers as the process of systematically dissecting and often rejecting the beliefs she grew up with. Tyler Huckabee says it's a process of re-examining the faith you grew up with. And Matt Chandler said that it is leaving the faith 
and he qualifies it as it doesn't mean doubt or theological wrestling or even struggling through church hurt. It is the absolute rejection of the faith. It is moved by human intellectual criticism of all scripture going back to the statement in Genesis 3 that said, did God really say? It is pictured by a preacher who teaches that questioning everything for any reason is good, and it has moved into the hypocrisy of former Christian churches ripping out pages of the Bible and proclaiming we don't believe this and taking up cultural lies as part of their church order. The effect is that it is traveling across. People no longer attend church. It is reported by the Pew Research now that a person who claims faith in Jesus Christ goes to church one time a month. It is the effect is seen at the work of the church is low on their priorities. They no longer view tithing as an act of worship. And if the pastor does not interest them or the worship music does not, uh, isn't their preference, they leave. There is a deconstruction going on in our nation. In a book called The, uh, the Autopsy of a Deceased Church, Tom Rayner says this, he says 10% of the churches in America are healthy. 40% have symptoms of sickness. 40% are very sick. And 10% are outright dying. And so today, I have really felt moved um, to bring a passage forward that God gave me in my own personal Bible studies uh, probably two months, three months ago from the book of Haggai. If you turn with me there, if you have a Bible, um, if you don't, somebody will bring one if you'd like, because we do like being in the Bible. But if you go to the book of Matthew, and you turn back two books, Malachi and Zechariah, you will find Haggai. It is a small book, a couple of chapters long. The Lord raised this prophet up only for a few months among the Israelites who had come back uh, from uh, from Babylon. So the backstory, as uh, you open up to the book of Haggai, the backstory is uh, that the Jewish people were warned of their rebellion by Isaiah and Jeremiah. They didn't listen, and in so 605 B.C., um, Babylon came and took all the wise scholars and the upper class people into activity, uh, captivity. Then the Jewish people again rebelled against Babylon, and in 586 B.C., Babylon came and destroyed Jerusalem and the temple, and they led the, all captives except for 10% of the people, which they left in the land, they led the rest of them to captivity. They stayed in captivity for 70 years, exactly the length of time that Daniel and also Jeremiah had predicted. And uh, then when Persia came over and overcame Babylon uh, through King Cyrus, uh, they were set free to go back to their homelands um, uh, under King Darius of Persia. 
You may understand this, and maybe you don't, but it was a Nehemiah uh, that went back and rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem. It was the governor Zerubbabel, uh, who is in the line of David, that then led the people back to Jerusalem. And it was the priest Ezra uh, that guided the people to rebuild the temple. They ran into trouble. You see, whenever you're rebuilding the temple, you're going to have an enemy. Because the enemy wants to keep the temple of the Lord destroyed. And they did too. And so their neighbors started to raise up a a fuss and sent even the king of Persia a note saying, don't let these people rebuild because it is their worship that becomes their act of rebellion. And so if you can keep their worship down, they won't rebel. That's true. We should be the most rebellious people for love in the world. We should be so ruled by the Spirit of God that our lives emulate the love of Jesus Christ and cause us to go into a rebellion for the lives of people. Are we that way or are we not? So anyways, for 16 to 18 years, they did not, they they had set the foundation of the temple, but they didn't rebuild it. They stopped. And guess what they did? What did they do? You're not rebuilding the temple, what do you do? Work down their own houses, their own comfort. That's what people do. If you want to know if, if you are a part of building the temple of Jesus Christ in this world, look at your life. Where is most of your life spent? In, wor- in worshiping and serving the Lord or in your own comfort? It's a question you've got to ask. And so this, this prophet raised up for only about four months. Four, four messages, of which the first one we're going to read today. So turn with me to Haggai if you're there. You there? You there? All right. Let's hear it. So it says, In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shatil, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your pan houses while this house remains in ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expect much, but see, it turns out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, 
which remains in ruin. While each of you is busy with your own house, therefore because you of you the heavens have withheld their dew, the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain and new wine, the olive oil and everything else the ground produces, on the people and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. And we're going to stop right there. First thing I want you to know is I am not talking, this is not a building project message. Okay? That's not what this is about. Um, God is not calling us to build a building today as the show of the movement of Christianity. He is talking to us about building into the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is you. It is you. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Our building today, what I'm coming to you today to make this contemporary is this. God wants us to disciple. He wants us to build into each other's hearts. That's what he's calling us to do. That's what the call is. Matthew 28 says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything I have commanded you, and lo, I will be with you always until the end of the earth. Age. Discipleship is building the kingdom of God one heart at a time. Is that what your life is about? And like I said, the enemy is always going to try to stop us. The enemy will always levy intimidation against any movement of a life building the church of Jesus Christ. Matthew 16, 18b says this, And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Now I want you to notice something. It doesn't say that the enemy won't try. It doesn't say that there's not going to be attack. Just like with, these, the, with the Israelite nation, for 18 years they had stopped rebuilding the temple. So in America, there has been a halt to the building of the kingdom of God in this earth. And the result is that churches are going into state of death. There's sickness because they're not doing what God calls them to do. And then finally, there is a war you're going to fight. And that war is your own comfort. I, I am challenged by, the, by, the, by verse 4. It says, is it time for you yourselves to be living in your own paneled houses while this house remains ruined? I think that's a great question for us today. Is it time for you to have your own comfort, Wayne, while millions of people are going to hell? They estimate 80,000 people die a day. How many of them knew Jesus? How many of them? Proverbs 24, 11 through 12 has always been a challenge in my life. It says, this, rescue those being away, uh, led away to death. Hold back those who are staggering towards slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay everyone according to what they have done? There is a call on us to build 
the church of Jesus Christ today. And it has nothing to do with buildings. It has everything to do with what, our, what is our life being poured into? What is it that consumes us and our thoughts? Obviously, we all have to work. Obviously, we have things we've got to do. That is not what I'm talking about. But is your life consumed with building the church of Jesus Christ? Is that a passion of yours? I thought to myself, the next verse, um, verse 5 says this, Give careful thought to your ways. Give care. I'm, I'm really glad to share. I'm glad we're here from youth to, to older. You know, you young people, God's talking to you too. He loves you. And you can, you can be a part of building the church of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I'm looking at you. Yeah, <laughs> so don't look at us. Yes, it's so cool. Your life can be a part of that. And so can ours. And so give careful thought. Because listen, listen to what he says. It's, it's amazing. Maybe some of you can say this better than I do. But in verse 6 it says this. First, you have planted much but harvested little. A life that is not about the creator God's purpose is a life that will continue to experience purposelessness. It will. I don't care how much you've made. I had a friend of mine. Um, he lost his mother at a young age. And so his father was in a business. And his father said, you know, I can't watch these kids because I'm working all the time. Um, so what he did, he decided to put the kids to work with him. And so they built up the business, and the kids took the business over. And, um, and so this man that I've met, I'm going to leave him nameless, but I met with him about three, maybe four years ago, and he said, he said, Wayne, I've been working for 43 years. Is this all there is to life? Is this it? Just work? No. No. There's a purpose that the King of Kings and the Lord and Lord has. But if you just focus on what this world has to give, you are going to focus on emptiness. It says here also, <clears throat> you eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. Can't say it any better than Mick Jagger said it. I can't get no satisfaction. Though I try, and I try, I can't get no. It's true. Your satisfaction was never meant to be on this earth. Your satisfaction was meant to be focused on the creator of this world through his son Jesus Christ and allowing that to become what gives satisfaction. In fact, he promised you this. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for you will be filled. If you're walking empty today, without direction and without purpose, you know that you're walking after the wrong things. You know you are. Third, you notice in there, you put on clothes but are not warm. You know the number one thing that's grown in our country? Uh, and even COVID has extremely exploded it, loneliness. Loneliness. The warmth of loneliness, or the coldness of loneliness, that's what it is. 
some in this room, even, even with a crowd this size, you're lonely. You're lonely. And you know what? It's not, people are not going to fill your loneliness. You're going to go after people to try to, if you go after people first, you're going to miss who really does bring warmth to your body. And that's a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying in response, and we're going to talk about that later, that it can't be along with others. But if that's your main focus, we've had, I met with, with, with a couple who their marriage was in trouble. She was on her fourth marriage because she had been searching for her loneliness to be filled by a man. Wrong man. Jesus Christ. And so you put on clothes but are not warm. And then you earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. The valueness of our wages outside of the understanding of a life of simplicity in Jesus Christ is, is, puts purposelessness to our money. What do I mean by that? The understanding of simplicity is that Jesus is the giver of all your wages. Do you believe that? You believe he's the giver of everything you earn. If that's true, then he is also the protector. He will protect what you've earned. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to become concerned about it. You don't have to, you don't have to live your life, am I, I going to have enough? He is the provider and the protector. And thirdly, and this is the tough one for Americans, he has the right to do whatever he wants with your money. That's a hard one. I earned it. I get to, I get to say over it. You know the area that I struggle with the most? When I make a decision to go on vacation, do I ask him? If I'm honest with you, I don't. I don't ask him. Right or wrong, I'm going to be honest with you, I struggle with this too. I've been brought up in America. I get to do with my money what I want to do with my money. And so those, three th- those four things, verse 7 says against, give careful thought to your ways. He was telling the people to remember their purpose by, by telling them to rebuild the, the temple. How many of us are living lives that have fallen flat on our expectations? When you were a child... You had dreams and vision about where your life would end up. Did you expect it would be where you are today? The Lord says in verse 9, You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? Because of one simple but profound truth. You didn't put him first in your life. Jesus will not allow to be second. 
He must be first in your life. That's why he says in Matthew 6, after talking about not worrying about the food that you eat or the clothes that you wear, like the pagans do, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Seek first him. Life will be dry without Jesus, as it says in here that he withheld the dew, and he called for a drought. Life will be dry without Jesus, and purpose is only to be a drought without Jesus. If you, if you seriously take a read of the Old Testament, you'll realize that uh, the wickedness of his people caused much of what went on in the world, both in, 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 in um, enemies taking them captive, but also in even droughts and that. And you say, well, I'm not sure I believe that. It was the 1920s that were called what? Roaring 20s. You know what I thought about? <clears throat> I thought about the fact of 1 Peter 5, 8 when I read that, when I thought about that. Stay alert and be sober-minded. Every, your enemy, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So we were the roaring 20s. Prosperity had come our way. World War, World War I was over with. There was um, industrialization was starting to boom and um, it was bootlegging alcohol it was gambling, speakeasies, adultery was high, and then what happened? The stock market crashed, which then led us into a time of depression. Tough, tough. You want to you wanna see the hardship of it? Watch the Waltons, a show that was made up around that time. Not true. Read about it. And then what broke us out of the depression? Or why? What did the war do? Say it again. Yeah, it, yes, it put people to work. Yes. Brought us together. In unity. We started fighting. Instead of fighting against each other, we started fighting with each other against a common enemy. And that, of course, brought prosperity again. My dad was in the war, stationed in Burma. I mean, I, anybody else a grandpa that was in World War II? Anybody here? Yep, 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 yep. Would you be embarrassed to tell them about the country that they fought for? I would be embarrassed to tell my dad about the country he fought for. One story, just one story. So he, he was a, um, an electronic um, uh, guy on an airplane. And, uh, and so he would, in that day it was test tubes. So they'd go in, test the radio, and he'd change test tubes if they were burned out. Well, they were stationed um, uh, in Burma, India. Um, you now called Myanmar. And, um, and so they would fly supplies over the West Indies uh, to uh, the Allies who were fighting against the Japanese, and they were backed up against the West Indies. And so they would fly over, drop supplies down. So he had a great idea one day. He decided, I'm going to go. I'll try it. I'm, I want to see what this is like. So they, um, they fly over the Indies. There's these huge crates of supplies, and they're all tethered 
to these ropes that have parachutes on them. And so when they throw them out, they, the supplies parachute down to the allies. Well, they have 30 seconds to throw these out. So they get over. They're about 200 feet above ground. They open the back doors, and they start shoving. And then all of a sudden, the red light comes on. What you do when the red light comes on is you grab something because the pilot's going to go straight up. And so here he is holding on straight over time, open bay, below him, hanging on for his life. He got back, and there were holes in the fuselage from the enemy that had shot at the plane. He said, I will never do that again. <laughs> I don't know why I made that voice. But anyways, but it's just, you know, it's just crazy. And, and so this is, I know I told you that story. Because that's what God is calling us to do. If you truly take serious that your life becomes a life that's building the church of Jesus Christ, you're risking your life. We don't teach that in the church. You're risking your life. Hey, listen. You're a former addict. You're risking your life because you're looking the temptation of your addiction in the face and say, I'm not going to listen to you anymore. I'm not going to listen to you anymore. I'm not going to. Because in Jesus Christ, I can. If you, are, if you have been a self-focused person, you're risking your life because you're saying, I'm, I'm now going to focus on Jesus Christ and not on me. For some of us, For some of us, and I really believe this, the Lord is telling you to give up your jobs to go out into the field and to be a missionary. That's a risk. It's a risk. You're giving up what you believe is your support and that. And if God is calling you to do that, would you please read the first time that Jesus sent out his disciples out to, to witness, what did he say? Don't bring an extra pair of clothes. Don't bring food. Don't bring money. Don't bring anything. Just bring a staff and bring your set of clothes. And when you go to a place, find a place where there's a house of peace. Let your peace remain there. And go tell the people around the town about Jesus, about the kingdom of God coming. And if there's not a house of peace there, take your peace back and go to the next town. You know that was... Suicide on a physical level because they had no social um, um, resources that would, would give you money. They literally had to depend on, the, on Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. Read that. If God is calling you in the mission work, read that. Take that into heart and believe it. That was extra. No, no extra money on that. It was just a sideline. So if you see what, what Haggai is trying to get across, if you see the emptiness, the loneliness, and, um, and, that, and the purposelessness, and if it just feels like you've expected much, but it turned out to be little, if that is you today, 
ask the Lord this question. Lord, how can I be a part of the change? I've been part of the deconstruction of the church. I want my life to be a part of the change. And there is something we can do. There is something we can do. Verse 12, go with me there. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shatil, Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God in the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him and the, and the people feared the Lord. Be willing to be identified in the unity under one name. Be willing. Ephesians 3.10 says, it's his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purposes that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, what was that? That's, that's from Ephesians 3.10. What was that? It was that, that he had, through the cross, joined together both Gentiles and Jewish people to be one. That he had, he had um, destroyed the wall of offense that had been built. And he had brought together people that would not normally be one together, that would not normally, that would be fighting each other. He brought them together. And that's what he wanted. Are there people in this room that you look around and say, yeah, if I was probably picking friends, they probably wouldn't be ones that I'd pick? That's because that's what Jesus does. He brings us together as one people. Even though we would not have picked that normally, he's drawing us together. And it is, it, is pick, it is realizing that and accepting that. The Bible says this, that, um, that members together, one body, it says in verse 6 of Ephesians 3, and shares together in the promise in Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 3, 12, 13 says, For we were all baptized by one spirit as so as to form one body. One body. Now, you've been a part of churches. Is that really that big of a deal? Is that really true? Story to tell you. I read it. I'm going to read it to you. It's considered one of the greatest American victories in the history of Olympics. The United States hockey team was not supposed to have a chance in 1980. The Soviet Union seemed invincible and unbeatable. Their team included elite professionals who had played together for years. The Americans, on the other hand, had teammates who never played together. None of them were professionals, and they came from colleges and universities across the United States. You know this story, I'm sure. The American victory over the Soviets in the medal round seemed improbable, if not impossible. According to the movie, if you've seen that movie, um, I think it's called A Miracle on Ice. Uh, according to the movie, based on these unlikely heroes, the turning point for the Americans came in a practice led by Coach Herb Brooks. The coach was demanding, perhaps driven to a fault, 
Brooks was not happy with the play of the team, so he had the players skating sprints to the point of exhaustion. Some of the assistant coaches were worried that the players would either pass out or quit. They urged Brooks to stop. Brooks pressed forward. During the practices, Brooks would ask a player who he played for. The player would respond proudly with the name of his college. Brooks was asking the same question during this particular practice of total exhaustion. One of the hockey players, recalling Brooks' persistent question, looked up from his prostate position after his last sprint, grasped for breath, and declared, I play for the United States of America. It was a defining moment. They got it. They did not play for different colleges from which they came. They played for the United States of America. The team responded, they would beat the mighty Soviets in the first game of the medal round, and they would ultimately beat Finland for the gold medal. People of God, who are you playing for? Who are you playing for? If you get it, you'll do it together. If you continue to live in your unbiblical individualism, you'll continue to get that question wrong and it will keep us separate from each other. But if you're on Jesus' team and we're on all on Jesus' team, we're going to get it. And our victory is not a gold medal or kudos You know what our victory is? Salvation of a soul of a human being. And we get to be in the passenger seat to watch it. We get to be in the passenger seat to watch Jesus work because we have said no longer, no longer the deconstruction of the rogue individuals in Christianity. No longer. I want you to get this even deeper. In Hebrews, the end of the of the chapter of the um, of the um, chapter of faith, the great people of faith that have gone before us, the witnesses, the witnesses that are in um, in the heavens, witnessing to us and telling us not to give up. Listen to what they came to understand. At the end of them going, you know, they wandered around. They were, they were killed by the, um, by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These are these great people of faith. They were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Listen, why is that? Since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Romans is going to tell us this, that there's going to come an end to the age of the Gentile 
where the last Gentile comes to know Jesus Christ. And then there is going to be an amazing breakout. There's not, I don't believe in replacement theology. Just want to know that. Please know that. I believe there's going to be a, a great breakout in the Jewish nation. Re- Revelation tells us that there's going to be 12,000 from each tribe that's going, to, that's going to raise up and begin to share among the Jewish people the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's going to be a great revival. But guess what? In the end, before the white throne, is going to be all the nations of all the worlds, of all humanity, such a sea that nobody will be able to see it. And we're going to be together as one. we got to live it that way now. we got to live as we believe it right now. There are seats empty here because there are people still out there that don't know them. And it's our fault. First, because we're not truly living in unity. And we've got to start. Second, what's the second thing? Unity is the first. Verse 12, verse 13. Let's, let's read it. Then Haggai the Lord's messenger gave this message to the Lord's, to the Lord, excuse me, message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. Second thing, do we recognize that he's here? You did not come to, to hear a pastor. You did not come to hear a worship leader. If you did, you came here for the wrong reason. You came here because the Lord says that where two or three are gathered in my name, I am present with them. Now, I, I get it that you've come to churches. You've come from churches where the Spirit did not show up. There are churches like that. With only 10% healthy in this country, I know this is an estimate, but being Signs of sick, symptoms of sickness or being very sick or being on the ledge of, edge of death says one thing, the Spirit's not let in that room. And we, it's been our fault. Are we truly at recognizing that God is in this place and that he's calling us together? Because if we do, if we do, Do you think our enthusiasm will go up? Do you think that in the presence of the Lord that there's joy and that the joy of the Lord is our strength? Absolutely. Absolutely. Wayne Andersma, are you submitting to the Spirit of God to let him in your church? Every one of us asks that question. And we do it together. Remember the last line of the commission. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the urge. And again, I go back to Romans 9. What hit me so much was the fact of all the form and structure of religion and they missed him. They missed him. They didn't even know him when he came among them. Is that me? Is that you? Has worship become so familiar that you're missing that he's here? Is your daily life so routine that you're missing him as he's walking with you at work? 
Has your trials become so difficult that you focus on them instead of letting them lead you to focus on Jesus? So unity. The presence of God among us. And then finally, 14 and 15, and I will end soon. It says, so the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shatil, governor of Judah, the spirit of Joshua, the son of Zadok, uh, Jozak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God. On the 24th day of the sixth month, Are you truly ready for the Holy Spirit to lead this corporate assembly to build his church? It says that the Lord stirred up the Spirit and they came and began to work. Now I get it. Some of you have not gone to church for very long. Maybe you did as a child and now you're just coming back. It's easy to say that wasn't moved by the Holy Spirit. So receive the Holy Spirit. Have you received Jesus Christ in your life? Answer that and receive him. Some of us have stayed outside the church because of pain and that you have claimed that it was the Holy Spirit moving you to stay peripheral to the church. It was not. It was your own human protection. It was not led by the Spirit. The Spirit of God will always lead us together to worship. Always. Now again, if the Spirit wasn't there, go somewhere the Spirit is. But the Spirit will always lead you together. You know what I'm saying is true because you're still holding on to your individualism and you're still using that as a protection. Some of us have watched churches close. You worked real hard to stop it, and you claim that it was the Holy Spirit that was moving you. But do you know the reason why most churches close? Despite the fact that the Holy Spirit wasn't there, it's because people held on. When the Holy Spirit isn't there, then people hold on to their preferences, and they hold on to their past as a hero. This is the way we used to do it. They're not doing the music like I like. The, I, I, let me say this. The churches never close because of the stirring of the Holy Spirit. In fact, if you're a person that has been, um, been someone who has worked real hard um, in the church and you saw a church close, you know this is true because you're still critical of the church uh, that you worship in today. So, here's my challenge as I end this time. Do you want the Spirit of God to stir in this place? Now, what does that look like? Acts tells us that when the Spirit of God stirred, that people were drawn together by reading the word, fellowship with each other, breaking of bread, and they were found in prayer. 
They also did not, they had everything in common with each other. That doesn't mean they believed all the same things. It doesn't mean that they all walked the same paths. It means that their hearts were held together by a commonality of brothers and sisters. And they did not consider their possessions as their own. They brought their gifts to the family to promote the movement of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to build the kingdom of God together. So if you have no interest in surrendering your life to Jesus Christ, if you, have, if you find your individualism more important than the unity of your family, if you find your own personal preference uh, or looking for a church to be like the church of your past, if you aren't all in with this family, with both time, finances, and talents, then you're not an asset to this family. In the midst of your claim of faith, you are actually part of the deconstruction of the house of God. I would leave. There's been one thing that has always, ever since we started, somebody told me once that none of us are big enough to to uh, destroy this thing. That's not quite exactly how it was said. Yeah. But ever since I started, when people start new in this place, I ask them one question. Has God's Spirit led you here? You've heard it. I ask that question. Why do I ask that question? Because that's the most important thing to me. I don't care about size. I don't care about how much money you make. I don't care. I don't care about money. What I care about is, has the Spirit of God called you to this family? Because if that's true, no matter what your past is, no matter what pain you've come from, no matter where you've come from, God will grow you out of individualism into unity. He will grow you out of the pain of the past into the purpose of the future. He will grow you into being, your life being part of building the church of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're here for. Nothing else. That's our purpose. And if you can't grasp that, if you can't hold on to that, if you keep yourself on the outside, I got an administrator that is struggling with getting people to greet at the door. Are you kidding me? That's not even the tough work. The tough work is going into an apartment with Chuck Yuken, knocking on her door and, and walking into somebody I didn't even know and getting to know her. And today, she witnesses Jesus Christ because she thinks the Holy Spirit came in the house that day and brought her here. He did. I know! It wasn't Chuck and I, it was the Holy Spirit! That's got to build! And you staying outside of it in this American individual deconstructing religion is hurting the church and your life is not about building. So, I said leave, but there's another opportunity. Why don't you repent? There you go. Repent. If the Holy Spirit shows you how you are a part of the deconstruction, then repent and say, God, I want my life 
to build the church of Jesus Christ. And I realize I have to do it in unity with my brothers and sisters. I have to realize that your presence is here. And that's the most exciting thing to me. The pastor preaches too long, but I don't care. Because the, your presence is here and, he, and you love me. And you have a purpose for my life. You want me to build with my life. Sometimes that requires drywalling. <laughs> and you love drywalling. <laughs> we probably could talk about that later. <laughs> but it's, it, that's only, that's not the end. That's the means that we can build the church. Right? This church is thinking about doing um, a mission trip next year with some of us. Wouldn't that be cool? That we could go out. There's a lot of things happening in your leadership, um, and, and we, have, we have so many of these attacking us, trying to keep us from moving forward, but, but it, there's a lot of things happening, and I just believe that God is doing a mighty work, and, you know, I look at um, Aaron and, and um, Tiffany, and I think about, you know, how God called them to ministry and then called them together, because Tiffany said, if we're not on the same path, we're not going to date. And I just so respect her for that. And they and 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 Aaron mission diverted from Myanmar to Indonesia. Huh. Huh. Pretty cool. Pretty cool what God's doing. And he's working. That's been among us. We got to see that. He's working in you. I get it. I get it. There's some hard things going on. But that's okay. That's okay if it's hard. Somebody told me uh, in a book I read um, uh, that, that we've been called to carry the cross of Jesus Christ, right? Anybody who would follow me must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me, right? Well, guess what? It's breaking sin, finding out what God is calling you to do, all these things are small crucifixions that you're going through. They're hard. They're hard, people of God, but that's not bad. It wasn't bad for Jesus to go through the crucifixion, was it? You're sitting here today because he did. His crucifixion ended up in death. Three days later, life. Your crucifixion is in the midst of life, and it's going to lead to more life. Life upon life. That's the difference between you and Jesus. I get it's hard. But don't despair. Trust him. Keep following. Let him lead. Do it together. Know his presence is here. And then get to work. Because we got a, we got a kingdom to build. In Jesus Christ. Amen? Do you, you want me to keep going? Or, 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 or. <laughs> People of God, I, 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 in my heart right now, it's so interesting with messages. I'll sit at home and I'll study them and it's like, okay, this is good. But when I look in your eyes, when I look in your eyes, the, the meaning just increases because I see why the Spirit of God wants to talk to each one of your hearts because it's not easy. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So let's get to work.
Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Unless somebody else has moved to pray, I don't have to. Somebody else moved to pray? Okay. You want to pray? Yeah, give me the mic. Yeah, you pray, Daniel. Absolutely, brother. I, I know God brought you there for a reason. All right, we're going to get this mic for you. Just a minute. Just a minute. Give uh, Ryan a moment to get his guitar on. Sweet. All right. Come on, brother. Lead us out of here. Lord God, I thank you for uh, bringing me to this church and... Uh, Letting me see uh, just how your love can move um, in my life and in the lives of everyone that I've met here. Um, Lord, you are a God who moves in the hearts of people and in this nation and in this world that worships death, Lord. Lord, change their hearts, Lord, and um, do the impossible like you've done with me and with everyone here. Turn their hearts around and let them worship you in life and truth and in spirit, Lord. Um, and give us a true fire, um, a fire for giving um, our lives to those who don't know you, Lord, um, and give our lives to each other. That's right. Um, you make our cups overflow, Lord, and we need... We need that even more in this this time, Lord. Um, the world is getting darker, and we need to shine brighter, Lord. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, sir.